Welcome to another episode of the Golf.com podcast. I'm Sean Zock. So, Rory McIlroy turned 30 years old Saturday. What exactly does that mean? The man is a four-time major winner, a player's champion, a Ryder Cup stalwart. During his 20s, Rory won more than $45 million on the PGA Tour, a number that trumps everyone not named Tiger Woods. Rory has lived an extremely public life ever since his golf made him good enough for all of us to watch. That came really early when he made the cut at the 2007 British Open at just 18 years old. He'd win on the European Tour in early 2009, confirming what everyone believed. He was mega talented and he was here to chase championships. But now, more than a decade later, when Rory walks around as a newly minted 30-year-old, every discussion about his place in the game is always veiled by a bit of, what have you done for me lately? And in a sport that devotes itself to the counting of major victories, Rory hasn't done much for us lately. Despite winning four majors before the age of 26, he hasn't won a major in more than four years. Almost five. And yet, he's the most global star in this game not named Tiger Woods. So Rory at 30. He's an interesting case. Before teeing it up at the Wells Fargo Championship last weekend, where McElroy won his first career tour event back in 2010, he was asked about what the number 30 means to him. You know, I played a practice round with Sam Saunders yesterday, and he's 31, but he's got two kids, you know, one a 10 and one a 5, and, like, I'm not quite at that stage yet, but this life, it makes you grow up quickly. Like, I don't feel... It's, it's funny, I, don't, I still feel like I'm one of the younger guys, but in my mind, I'm not 30 either. It's a, it's a weird... I don't know... I don't know what age I really am, or, what, you know, it's sort of... You know, I was here when I was 20 and, and winning a Quill Hollow, and that was sort of, but it doesn't, doesn't feel like 10 years ago. It's, 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 a, it's a, I don't know. If you couldn't tell, Rory himself seems a bit confused on what turning 30 means. As he reaches another phase of his career, it's worth looking back on what he's done and who he's been since he arrived as a moppy-haired 19-year-old back in 2009. It was back then that McElroy played his first Masters tournament, and in the run-up to that Masters, our very own Michael Bamberger spent some time with Rory for a Sports Illustrated feature profile. Michael joins us now. Michael, who was Rory McIlroy at 19 years old? The single biggest impression Rory made on me when I when I met him when he was 19 it was his it was his first trip to the United States as a professional. He had been here before as a kid playing amateur golf, but uh, but now he was embarking on his uh, pro career. And uh, and I met him at the uh, Titleist uh, Testing Center, and he was with his father. And absolutely, by far, the biggest impression he made was an unbelievably intelligent and worldly kid who had uh, who had traveled the world. He went to China with Valdo. He had flown overnight planes uh, as a ten-year-old uh, by himself, I think, to the United States at one point, and stayed with families. And um, he was just not like uh, any 19-year-old kid I'd ever and uh, ever met before. So I remember being keenly impressed by his intelligence, by his interest in things way beyond golf, and uh, and just um, what a reasonable, nice, interesting, uh, complete person he was at 19. It was actually amazing. Also, his vocabulary was extraordinary. I'm not remembering this number precisely, but at roughly 16-year-olds, at age 16, he scored roughly 1,300 on the SAT with no, you know, Stanley Kaplan test. His use of language, full sentences, I was very, very impressed by. Why was there such hype around him? I was not deep in the golf game at the time, but 
I feel like there's always a young 19-year-old, but what was different about him? I wouldn't be knowledgeable about golf, golf to have picked it up myself, but others more, far more knowledgeable than I were. And the first thing I remember in that regard was my friend and uh, former colleague Gary Van Sickle at, uh, at the Open that uh, Padraig Harrington won at um, Carnoustie. And Rory was an amateur playing in that event. And uh, Van Sickle, who really knows a lot about golf and has a son who's a very good golfer, said, I just saw this kid, Rory McIlroy. He's like a young Lanny Watkins. Uh, he's the full package. Uh, he's got it all. He's got swing speed. He's got a walk. He's got everything. And then you could see, even if he didn't really understand technically what he was doing, anyone could tell he had tremendous speed through the ball. But you could also see that he had uh, he, he walked with the confidence. He looked like an athlete, even though he was a little on, on the chubby side. Who, who cared? He had... He had swagger, and uh, I remember Jeff Ogilvy at the time telling me that uh, just the way he carried himself was worth half a shot a day. And of course, that's there's no way to make that a there's no scientific analysis for a sentence like that. But I knew what he meant. We all knew what he, what he means is that uh, he was good, and that down the stretch, that little bit of swagger was going to be uh, was was going to be helpful. So there's no such thing as a can't miss prospect in golf, but there's close, and he was close to that. Okay, so within your profile, you seem to join him in multiple locations. Did you go with him from Carlsbad to Jupiter? No, I didn't travel with him. I know I saw him in a bunch of different places. That was probably the single greatest privilege, one of the great privileges about being a reporter at Sports Illustrated. You had the time to see the subject in multiple, in multiple settings and really get to know the, the person and, and see him in good times and bad and then write him up uh, accordingly. You know, I saw him in... Well, let's see. I think he played in a tournament in Florida. I think he played at the, in the Drought tournament. So I'm there. So it's Honda tournament. I think he played. In. So uh, oh, for sure, because that's the week that uh, he and his father were in a uh, parking lot at the uh, Palm Beach Gardens Mall on PJ Boulevard, and uh, Big Jack came by. <laughs> Big Jack rolls down the window and says hi to them. And uh, and and Jerry, Rory's father, who's my age exactly, says, uh, "Oh, hi, Jack." And Jack leaves, and Rory later says to him, "You can't call him Chuck. You got to call him Mr. Nicholas." And I remember telling Nicholas about that later, and Jack was like, I love it when people call me Jack. On that line, I imagine seeing him in America and seeing him or being at his home course paints two different pictures of of golf. Well, the thing that came screaming through was that he was working class to his core. The father was completely working. You know, the father was a working class man. The mom was a working class woman. They scrapped for everything they had. He was an only child. And... Um, it, that's very common. You know, a lot of the American players who make it on tour come from middle class and upper middle class country club backgrounds. But in Europe and uh, in the British Isles, uh, the professionals often come from, uh, from from working class backgrounds. And of course, the uh, the operative word in working class is work. And he did the work. But I think this is really important. Work for him was play. He enjoyed it. He, you know, you could see he had a. Uh, and it made him different from Tiger and other uh, phenoms. So you could, the, the joy that golf brought him, you could see it in how he played. You can see it in how he talked about it. You could see it when looking at. Uh, old, I went saw Michael Bannon, his uh, in, his lifelong instructor at a club near Belfast uh, Hollywood Golf Club. I think it might have been a different club at that point. You could see it in the tapes. Uh, he had uh, joie de golf, and uh, so you combine you combine a, a working man's attitude with a joy from the work, and that's a also highly productive combination. I think that joy is very intriguing because 
at least at various points in his career, joy can be a bit fleeting, or at least it seems like for Rory, joy from golf can be a bit fleeting. Uh, he wins at the Wells Fargo Championship in 2010, his first win on tour. He'd won in Dubai prior to that. He almost wins two majors in 2010. He shines in the 2010 Ryder Cup. And then he reaches the Masters in 2011. And as you know, he has a, a, a pretty horrendous collapse on Sunday. I guess knowing what would come, how pivotal do you think that Sunday is, Sunday, April 10th, 2011, in his career? I think it comes and goes. I think that's the spectacularly fortunate thing about being a professional golf is that uh, if you're at the elite level where the, the tournaments are there for you to play in, there's always other chances. And uh, it'll always be the one that got away. But, but you have to learn to live with that. So, no, I don't think, I, I, I don't think that has the extreme baggage uh, uh, weighs him down, gives him scar tissue, whatever phrase you want to use, uh, uh, as, as others might. Many people at least believe that you have to lose one before you can win one. Rory goes on to win the next major uh, in 2011 U.S. Open by eight strokes. Um, he goes on to win the 2012 PGA Championship by eight strokes. So he's got two majors. And then early 2013, you had another exclusive interview with him. He had withdrawn from the 2013 Honda Classic. He's 23 years old, and he admits to you that he regrets that moment. I feel like he's learning perhaps how big his decisions are or, or how big the stage is and that you become a, a very famous golfer and there can be very famous blowback. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, I, I happened to write the game story when he won the, uh, when he won the Open, um, the U.S. Open at, uh, at Congressional. And he made it look easy, uh, like, like, like the greats do. Uh, of course, you know, winning by eight, uh, it is relatively easy. I mean, he never felt uh, any pressure. But the pressure comes in other ways, and that's by the basis of there's there are always eyes on you at every restaurant and uh, in every golf tournament, in every press conference, in every interview. And you're you're young, and now you're young and you're rich, even though uh, you're a grounded person. You know you have you've got great parents and uh, and friendships outside of golf and other interests and all all the rest. It gets to be more. Than you can handle. Uh, so there are freakouts in major and minor ways. And golf's been extremely fortunate that what constitutes a golfing freakout is something, you know, inappropriate, like uh, like walking off a golf course after I think about 26 or 27 holes, when the standard of the game is gutted out. I think these things boil over in all human beings, and the professional golfer has fewer outlets for it uh, than most. And coming to terms with it is critical to having a long, successful career. And, of course, no one has dealt with that uh, self-inflicted otherwise more than uh, Tiger Woods. But any, but any golfer who plays at an extremely high level, like Rory, uh, uh, has it. So, so, yeah, he walked off a golf course. Now, I think it's, it's almost quaint that that, at the time, got the attention that it did because so many of these old-school standards about gutting it out uh, this particular issue, you know, uh, start what you finish are, are, are changing rapidly. Uh, uh, but I, I hope that doesn't change, but, uh, but at that moment, yeah, that was a big deal. And he was playing with Ernie and Ernie was pissed. <laughs> uh, you mentioned tiger and uh, that, that brings me to 2017, early 2017, February, 2017, to be exact, Rory's 27. 
he has won another two majors, the 2014 Open Championship, the 2014 PGA Championship. He won the 2014 WGC Bridgestone in between those two. So it was a streak of three wins in a row in three starts, and it made people start to talk about Tiger. And then fast forward to 2017, and you're talking to him at age 27. He has a t- He's had a Tiger peak. He's now engaged for the second time, but you're emailing back and forth with him. And he's talking about how he feels his life has rivaled Tiger in some ways. He's talking about golf as if it's a relationship and that it, it needs constant attention and it needs work. This was a very interesting version of Rory McIlroy. You know, the ascent in every uh, profession, whether it was politics or the arts or a film actor, uh, they all go through the same thing where uh, you go through levels in life. Uh, when you're uh, when you're highly ambitious and uh, and highly skilled, and uh, one of the things I know that he says uh, at some point in that interview is that uh, that you know we were talking about uh, joy of golf uh, before, and that professional golf uh, had diminished some of his joy of golf, and that he felt it. Uh, you know, for instance, when he uh, when he played Augusta National as a guest with his father, uh, one particular occasion that he was noting, but he can't wish to bring it back. He has to accept what it is, and uh, and that's a very very uh, tricky thing. And of course, the guy who figured that out best was uh, was Nicholas, uh, who came and went from golf. You know, played his golf, left and and did family things and fishing and hunting and tennis and golf course design, and then came back to golf. And it was there for him. I think it's a tremendous cha- challenge when you're when you're that super talented. And I'm sure he's grappling with that uh, with that still today. I'm, I'm sure he will uh, for the rest of his life. I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that we know Rory to be and have right now. So he's turning 30, and his caddy is his childhood friend, Harry Diamond. Um, how important do you think Harry Diamond is in playing that caddy role for Rory currently? I would think that Harry gives Rory exactly what he needs, which is uh, the security of knowing that he's there only for one reason, to be completely in Rory's corner. And I think that's, I think to your question of, you know, what, what does he do? Why that's important because it's lonely. It's a lonely game. Uh, it's always been a lonely game and uh, it's a lonely profession, even though you're surrounded by people all the time. That, that brings me to another uh, person that, is in Rory's camp at this point. Debuting at the Masters was Dr. Clayton Skaggs, who not many people know about yet, but he is a licensed chiropractor who is not exactly playing a chiropractor role for Rory, but he's with Rory on the putting green at Augusta. He's walking along the ropes with Rory as he's playing his rounds. Do you know much about this guy? Didn't you make a note about him at the the Masters on golf.com? Yeah. So when I saw that, and I had never seen the name, I think, until you wrote it. And uh, so I went online and started reading up about him. And uh, I was extremely interested because uh, it shows a yearning on on Rory's part. Now, the fact is Rory was good enough at golf to win a U.S. Open by, by eight, to win a PGA Championship by a bunch, to win a Hoyle Lake to win in the dark with whatever he brought. I don't know much about this guy, but I just think it's extremely interesting that he exists in Rory's life. This shows a yearning on Rory's part. And, and 
you know, it's it's easy to be dismissive, but I think it probably should be applauded because it takes a flexible mind to even recognize that uh, you need some outside help. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I'm interested in it. I wish I knew more about the guy. Yeah. Uh, I think the fans play a very interesting role in Rory's career. Um, he seems very open to talking about things. It kind of whets the appetite, so to say, beyond just his on-course success. And his on-course success obviously whetted the appetite when he wins four majors before turning 26. Did he rise into the unfortunate spot where fans will never be satisfied with enough of his victories? They won't be satisfied with a player's win this year and that needs to be a major. Did he rise to that point perhaps a bit too quickly? You know, I mean, maybe that's uh, maybe that's one of the things he's looking to discuss with this chiropractor, doctor, or or the other people in his life, uh, other people in his life. Uh, how much of uh, of what you do in your daily life do you do for yourself, and how much do you do because to, to meet the expectations of others? He has no obligation to his fans to win. His obligation to his fans is the same obligation he has to himself to uh, to try his hardest. There is no defense in golf. You cannot force somebody to shoot a higher score than, than you can. All you can do is shoot the lowest score uh, uh, that you can. Everything follows uh, from that. So w- winning and losing is so random in golf. It's, it's so hard to do. To win is so random, so hard to do. And, and then if you add the element of an expectation – You'd have to be you'd have to be crazy to let that settle in your uh, in your brain, and yet maybe you know we wouldn't know because we're not in that position. Maybe it's uh, it's unavoidable, and maybe that's a thing that you have to learn uh, to block out. Um, I wouldn't think that would be particularly an issue uh, with with Rory, but 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 who knows? Uh, I want to end with a discussion about I guess where he goes. It's hard to say it when if he'll win another major. It seems like a preposterous question to ask if he'll win another one, but it's never fair to put a certain number of majors on uh, expected majors for his future. More at large, do you think he could end up being the greatest European player of all time? And I guess, where do you think he sits on that list? You know, greatest, that's a really interesting question, Sean. Greatest is defined differently by different people. Um, if you want to talk about who's the greatest golfer of all time, to me, it's Nicholas because of the 18 majors, the 19 runner-ups, um, the length of the career, the golf course architecture career, raising five kids, staying married, doing philanthropic work. In other words, I look at the whole package. Uh, the greatest, most dominant golfer of all time, I would say, is Tiger uh, with Jones and Hogan and Nicholas, uh, you know, right near him. But, but, but I would but I would say it's Tiger, uh, the greatest European golfer of all time, after the Tom Morrises. Let's just say uh, you know uh, after young Tom Morris and old Tom Morris. But let's say you know since World War War. Let's say since World War Two is Seve, uh, uh, more than Faldo, more than the Lothabal, uh more than anybody. It's Seve because Seve was there. Arnold Palmer, uh, he was the whole package. Uh, like Nicholas was the whole package, like Arnold was the whole package in, in, a, in a different way. Sebi's the greatest. Who is their most accomplished golfer? It's Faldo. Can Rory 
surpass Seve for overall greatness? Probably not, because there's only going to be one first to uh, to own your sport in your continent. And of course, Rory's uh, moved to the United States and really made America uh, uh, his home anyhow. But can he become the most accomplished European golfer of all time? Definitely. Um, if we're lucky, Sean, 20 years from now, we'll be having the same conversation uh, in some new medium as yet uninvented. Uh, I would be amazed if Rory is not clearly established as the most accomplished European golfer of all time. That doesn't mean he's going to be Seve. Seve forever is going to have a special aura around his name, just as Arnold does. But if someone's going to talk, who, you know, if you're going to talk about a great European player, like you're going to talk about Tiger Woods being a great golfer, I think it's going to be Rory Hansdown. I think so too. Thank you, Michael. It's true. How Rory will be remembered in this game, that debate finds him at a very interesting place. Earlier this year, he entered a partnership with NBC Sports that will provide exclusive content surrounding McElroy's life on and off the golf course. It's a McElroy-first multimedia machine, and it brings him to the masses, or at least those who subscribe, and it takes typical forms of media, like Sports Illustrated, largely out of the equation. People, the way they consume their, their content nowadays, you know, it's very different than than the way it was 25 years ago. So to be able to partner and to, yeah, sort of go one-on-one -on -one with a fan, and it's my way of trying to give something back to, to the game and back to those avid golfers that, that enjoy the game as much as I do. At this point in his life, the Ulsterman who Michael Bamberger found back in 2009, he's as Americanized now as ever. He lives in Florida full-time. He's miles beyond the point in his career where money actually matters. In 2011, his Sunday outfit at the Masters, it had six different sponsorships. Today, he's a Nike athlete and a tailor-made golfer, nothing more on his golfing person. In some of these moves, McElroy rivals other global athletes. He's carved out media developments just like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Tom Brady. But when he's making decisions, he's as headstrong as anyone, similar to LeBron as well. He's fully cognizant of his gravity in the golf ecosystem. Earlier this year, McElroy threatened that he would surrender his European Tour membership. Playing golf in America and on the PGA Tour was more important to him. That idea forced Euro Tour CEO Keith Pelly into a scramble to change Rory's mind. That's the juice that Rory has. He's earned that over his fruitful, if young and still growing, career. It's 2019. He's 30 years old. He has his own podcast, his own digital golf network. That juice he's built up, it's only going to keep growing. Major championships be damned.